Canucks Central Monday. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. We are a presentation of your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. Uh, we are in the uh, fine confines of the Sportsnet 650 studio, not with the beautiful backdrop of Morgan Creek like uh, our partners of the People Show were. Actually, a little bit jealous. <laughs> it's not very often I'm jealous of the People Show, but... Yeah, here we are. It's very, very, very few moments yeah. like that. Uh, the Canucks alumni tournament. It's the first time all year. Uh, was going on. And they had a ton of great guests. We'll have one as well. Patrick Alvin is coming up. Canucks general manager going to join us in a few moments here on Canucks Central to uh, discuss some of the moves made within the organization today. Henrik and Daniel Sedin are specializing into player development roles. They also have added... Mikhail Samuelson and Mike Komisarek mm-hmm. into the player development department. Yeah, and on the Sedin specifically, um, it's interesting because we had a question to the mailbag, I believe it was last week, not this past mm-hmm. week, but the week before, where somebody asked us about where the Sedins might be going in a year, what they might be doing, and all this sort of stuff. And one thing we mentioned was they really like player development. That's yeah. what they got into. Uh, they're going to take a slower path, most likely. It's not about jumping into being a GM or a GM and all that sort of stuff. They're going to take their time, and player development may be where they remain. And that's a, uh, that's exactly what happened today. This is why you have to listen to the mailbag. Yes. Not to uh, give the shameless plug, but I'm going to give the shameless plug. <laughs> mailbag Friday, uh, you get a lot of little nuggets uh, like that, mostly from Sat. I'm just usually here for the... Um, Aesthetic. Well, you know, you're here for more than that. <laughs> Pronunciation. I kid. I had a great Mikhail Samuelson story last week. You did. So. That was a ter- I mean, so much so that people thought you were onto something or you were hinting at I'm something. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying. I mean, hey, <laughs> I wondered the same thing today when it happened. I'm like, why did you tell that Mikhail Samuelson story? Did you know something you didn't want to share with us last week? I know more than you think. Yes. Not surprised about that one. Uh, it is uh, Mailbag Friday. You get it every Friday. Check it out on the podcast, and you'll be able to find some good stuff in there each and every Friday. You know, the the, the thing about the Sedins, and, um, you know, it's uh, – we kind of wondered, you know, would their shadow be a little bit too big within the organization when they first came in? And, you know, is this just like a – prequel to them eventually taking over as GM and president. Maybe that was the thought in the first moment, Sat, but um, it's pretty clear they're they're cool with just taking this slowly and methodically and working their way into potentially bigger roles or just staying on the periphery to some extent, um, not in the main roles of AGM or ultimate GM, whatever that may be. So it says a lot, and this is something we talked about when the Sedins first joined the organization, that the Sedins could have written their ticket to a large part yeah. about what they wanted to do. And they decided to begin very entry level. It wasn't the Canucks didn't come up and say, hey, come and learn. They were like, hey, we want you guys to join the organization. What do you guys? What would you guys like to do? And they very much said, hey, we want to start at the very bottom because we want to learn everything. We want to take our time. And this is that doesn't mean they don't have ambitions, potentially. It doesn't mean that they may not want to do more. But it's something that is not, I don't believe, anything they're pushing for imminently. 
And they're happy to work on this stuff quietly behind the scenes and be part of the organization and do what they believe is something meaningful. So, um, you know, a lot of moves here on the player development side. And it's something we've harped about for a long time. The Canucks aren't developing enough players. Is that on the draft strategy, on the talent pool available to them, or is it on the development process? Are they getting these players to be the best versions of themselves once they get them into the organization? And the answer is probably a little bit of both, right? (laughs) It's never uh, black and white. And on that front, it's clearly um, a priority of this new front office to change how they are going about their player development process. And here to talk about that with us is Canucks GM Patrick Alvine. Mentioned that, uh, you know, there was an alumni tournament going on earlier today at Morgan Creek. Well, Patrick, um, thanks for doing this today. Um, were, were you on the links as well? What's going on? No, unfortunately not. Uh, I wish I was. Uh, <laughs> so you're the one doing all the work while they get to have all the fun. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and, and, and those guys uh, well deserved too. Uh, so um, you, you make an announcement today, uh, enhancing the front office. Uh, the Sedin's now specializing in in player development. It's um, you know uh, we all we all kind of wondered where Henrik and Daniel would end up uh, in the front office. Um, what what made this the right spot for them? Um, a good question. I mean, I I, uh, I have a lot of respect for for da- Daniel and Henrik uh, what they've done uh, on the ice for the Canucks, but also. Um, the personality and, and what they did uh, this past year when I was coming in uh, on the hockey ops there. And uh, when we got ta- start talking about the you know, future and where they see themselves and what department and all that, uh, I think we, we uh, come to a consensus there that, that this was probably the right path for them moving forward uh, to work with uh, with the players uh, in in Vancouver um, on the ice and off the ice, uh, uh, being a you know support uh, to the coaching staff if they have any uh, special assignments or details, and just be around there, uh, and also be part of the, the Abbotsford uh, team there, working with the younger players and and helping the uh, the coaching staff out there. Well, and as far as working with those younger players specifically in development, how much hands-on are they going to be with those prospects, and how valuable can it be for those prospects to have the Sedins helping them out? Well, I always think it's a fine line, um, you know, working with the players individually and, and uh, from a team um, aspect. And uh, in this case, I think, uh, you know, the, the communication between the coaches and the development staff um, is, is the key. Uh, I think they, you know, I think all the young players, uh, uh, regardless where you are, um, need help. And if you can get help from uh, two uh, uh, potential Hall of Famers and, you know, uh, what they see and, and what they went through, I think this is a, this is a great addition for, for our club. Was, was this, um, you add Mikhail Samuelson and Mike Komisarek to the player development department as well today. Uh, when you came in, was this an area of the organization that, that you felt needed needed some work? I, I think so. Um, you know, I, I think this is a this is a key department. Uh, you know, 
you know, it doesn't really matter how good or bad you draft if you don't have people to take care of those uh, younger players coming in and and also um, give them time, uh, build the relationship and and bridge them over to the uh, to the pro careers. I think, uh, and I've seen it too. I, you know, guys, uh, there's not a sprint uh, to get to the NHL. I think for some of them, it's a marathon. So you need uh, to continue to work with each individual um, until they um, until they get there. And, and you know, if that's you know two, three, four, five, six, seven years, it doesn't really matter. What what we want to make sure is that we have. Um, the best uh, staff uh, possible to help and work with our younger players in, in Abbotsford and, and uh, if they're in college or, or, or juniors or over in Europe. What made Samuelson and Commissarek right fits to join the organization specifically? Well, when we started, uh, when we started talking about uh, uh, staff members here and going through names and all that, uh, I think... Uh, uh, obviously, Cammy Renato and Ryan Johnson have done a, a really good extensive search here. But uh, one of the things for me is, is uh, having the uh, the winning attributes, and and if you could find a guy that, uh, that or find a person that that played for the Canucks, in this case, Michael Samuelson, um, that was willing to do the work uh, over in Europe and. Uh, and he was, and, and uh, I think he learned, uh, he was working in Chicago system for three years, and, and then he was a GM here for uh, the last couple of years, and, and he was really excited about this opportunity. Uh, Mike, Mike Komoserik, and I also, sort of going back there, I, I think it was important for us to find a mix of, of mm-hmm. a forward, former forward and a, a defenseman here, so they can specialize working with uh, mm-hmm. uh, each position here. Uh, Mike Komisarek as well. When when uh, Ryan and Cammy started, uh, you know, uh, the conversation and the interview process with Mike, they they really were excited about uh, uh, the energy and and the commitment that he was willing to uh, to give us here uh, that we were looking for. And and he he uh, was part of uh, Buffalo Sabers there for three years, so he he also knows what this role is is all about. Patrick Alvin, our our guest. Um, there's uh, been a lot of uh, chatter amongst us uh, sports radio guys that uh, you know the the recent draft history of the team, and um, you know there's there's some hits uh, near the near the top parts of the draft, but uh, not not a lot going through it. Um, you know, how do you manage um, uh, the shallow prospect pool you've kind of take over here, taken over here, and you know how does it shape the way you want this team to move forward? Oh, I think uh, again, it's it's a process for us. Uh, nothing's going to change here overnight, and I think uh, part of it is building out their development staff, but also giving uh, uh, the, the clear structure and, and uh, uh, the role of responsibilities to our scouting scouting staff. Uh, I think as a player, uh, you, you want to know exactly what's uh, what your role is on the team and what's expected uh, from you every night, and I think that's. Um, what we're, we're, you know, off-ice off uh, personnel wants too. So um, in that order, I think we, uh, we're we going to make sure we, we emphasize on the structure and, and the identity of being a Canuck here moving forward and and, uh, and also being open-minded to players uh, that maybe have gone through the draft, uh, taking a different path and, 
and players that uh, that are development staff and you know coaching staff in Abbotsford can work with. Um, there is very few perfect players out there. So every every single player has their own path to get to the NHL, and it's uh, it's our responsibility to help them to get there. And as far as the draft itself is concerned, it's not that far away, just over about a month and a half before the NHL draft is here upon us, and you guys are doing your scouting meetings, getting your lists done. How has that process been, and what has it been like implementing the way you as an organization working with everybody else wants the scouting meetings to go and how it's coming together? How's that process been? Well, I think it's an ongoing process all the way up to the draft floor um, in, in Montreal there. And, and right now, uh, the combine in, in Buffalo started here, so we've got their staff there and uh, continue to evaluate and get to know the players. And uh, I think uh, the, the amateur staff run by Todd Harvey, obviously, was a, it, was a, it was a change of how we want to do things uh, moving forward and what they talk for what they've done in the past. And, and I was open and listened to, to Todd what, what have worked well in the past and, and how we can do things better. Um, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was a good meeting there uh, in May. And uh, uh, I think that there are some good, uh, really good members on, on the, on the scouting staff. And I think it's, it's up to the management here now to just give them uh, a clear direction of uh what the expectations are uh, working for the Canucks and uh, and what they're looking for here moving forward. I'm sure uh, every team would like more draft picks if they could could have them. Uh, how, how realistic is it that you may a- add a couple of picks ahead of the draft? Oh, uh, I don't know about how realistic. I, I think it's uh, obviously it's hard uh, to to gain uh, uh, you know early draft picks at least and. Uh, we're we're open. Uh, I think we we communicating within our group here and uh, and seeing how we can improve our our, uh, our current roster and uh, if that means uh, adding adding players or adding draft picks, we're we're open for for whatever we can do to to uh, improve our club. How do you feel about the uh, the idea of trading down? Not, not not so much like specifically for this year, but the process of it. Right, you get uh, you, maybe you move down a few spots, but you add another pick in in the second round. It uh, gives you more bullets at the at the draft board. But how do you feel about that strategy, that type of process overall? Yeah, um, obviously, as you said, uh, it could give you more bullets, but but also uh, you can lose a player that that you actually um, really like. So I think it's it's more about the list management and and uh, communication with uh, Todd Harvey and Ron DeLorme at the draft table, how they see things. And I think uh, our guys are uh, detailed and prepared. So I think we're again, I think we're open for for every scenario that can come at us there, uh, leading up to the draft day. Well, and, uh, you know, before you guys make any decisions on any potential trades, obviously you got to figure out some contract for some key players still. Uh, have you guys made any sort of headway as far as making any offers to your big, uh, well, pending RFA and Brock Besser, but of course the two guys that are UFA in a year, Bo Horvat and JT Miller? Anything to report on that front? Um, I think we have a good conversation with, with all parts here. Um, and, and this, uh, you know, this might take some time, but, uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for those players and, and, uh, sadly here for Brock, uh, with his, with his father passing away. 
Uh, it's been a tough uh, couple of days for him, or even going back a tough year for the Messer family there. But uh, um, I have a good relationship with his agent, the Brock, and uh, the same thing goes with uh, Bowen and JT and their camps too. You uh, you mentioned uh, during the course of the season, you know, we're uh, we're not too keen on on losing players for free, and obviously players of of that stature, JT Miller and, and Bo Horvat, you know, does. Um, it, it's a really interesting spot for the organization. I'll put it that way. But can you foresee a situation where they they both come to training camp without new contracts? <laughs> oh, good question there. Uh, <laughs> I, I, hey, they still got another year, um, so I could I could definitely see that. I mean, uh, they're good players, so I don't see uh, I don't see a reason why they why we cannot come to an agreement or even uh, start to see some of those guys. Uh, as I said, they have another year on their, deal, on their current deal. So I'm not too worried about that on that part. And you know, just on JT, and this is not a contract question, just as far as you watching him as a player, did your opinion change of him even more positively as the season went on and as he finished the season with 99 points? Absolutely. I, I think... Uh, it's easy to uh, when you're out east, uh, you you think you know the players uh, out west, but you don't see them as often as you wish you would. And uh, um, when I uh, from from uh, late January there, when I got hired, and uh, to the end, uh, I was really impressed with JT's uh, game, um, his overall game, and his. Uh, uh, he's a very competitive player, um, and, and and as you mentioned, ended up with a with a um, individual uh, good year, uh, close to 100 points here. Uh, so, I I definitely thought that he's been uh, taking a step uh, this year. Patrick, uh, we we really appreciate the time as always. Make sure you hit the golf course soon. Okay, don't work too hard. <laughs> Thanks, appreciate it, guys. There is uh, Patrick Alvine, general manager of your Vancouver Canucks, joining us here on Canucks Central. Some. Interesting things about uh, how they're going about building out this organization, but also on the idea of going into training camp next year with Horvat and Miller as pending unrestricted free agents. Yeah, and you know he <laughs> he started laughing and said, "Well, kind of caught him off guard. Their guard their reach when you asked him that well, question. Maybe a little bit. Bought himself a little bit of time, and then <laughs> said, "Yeah, you know, they're under contract next season. Yeah, um, I mean that's the stock answer." Yes. They're under contract. Of course, that's a possibility. We don't have to make a decision. I still you know, think it's going to be a difficult spot for this team to head into next year with that much uncertainty looming over those two key players. It, it's absolutely... Um, it's a, unlikely. It's a tough spot for the organization. And an organization that has prioritized getting to the postseason for so many years, Yeah. right? Are you going to put yourself into that situation where you're getting in and around the trade deadline? You don't have a future set up for maybe one or both of those players and then end up having to go through that process. The constant questions that are going to come with it, the uncertainty, it's just, it's a lot. And then there's the biggest factor, the potential of losing a player of that stature for absolutely nothing. Yeah, which ultimately I don't see happening. Yeah, you know, I don't see them losing those guys for nothing. And then just the idea of heading into the next season, so many things can happen. Like for instance, let's say this team takes off next year and gets off to this great start. 
and you're firmly entrenched into a playoff spot. But Bo doesn't have a contract. Neither does, does JT. Yeah. I mean, they're not going to let both those guys walk for nothing. It becomes very interesting. Do you, you know, play down the wire kind of like Calgary did now and they're sitting here with Johnny Goudreau and trying to figure out what happens mm-hmm. but they thought to themselves hell hey at least we can take we can we can make a run at this if this team was a bit better and a bit farther ahead i could say that the prospects of next season could be so tantalizing that you roll the dice well it ties in so much with the um you know with what we talked about the the shallow prospect pool yeah. within the organization the poor draft record over recent years outside of you know the top rounds you know that that plays a big factor here because it means so much more to then lose a player like Miller or Horvat for free. Well, let's let's also look at their mo. Yeah, what they've done. Everything they've done so far has been predicated on patience, mm-hmm. on making the right move, not rushing into anything, taking your time. To go into next season with both those players in the final years of their contracts will yeah. be a reckless move. In so many different ways. I mean, not to mention injury risk and all that sort of stuff. But to what to your point, the greater point, your team's not ready yet to win, nor do you have enough in the pipeline to feel like, hey, if we roll the dice this season, screw it. We were ready. You can't do that. I just I, I see no avenue where this team heads into next season with both those players unsigned. Could I foresee a situation where one potentially is unsigned? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Because that's more manageable throughout the season. But even so, like I, I I defended what these guys did so much during the year by being patient, taking your time, don't do anything. There are no pressure points. You can wait till the offseason. That's fine. Mm-hmm. It would be so reckless heading into next season with these guys not being done. And I, I think that if you're really trying to build your team out, you need to have more certainty next season. You can't be heading into next season with those two things hanging over the team. It's uh, Canuck Central, Dan Richo, and Satyar Shaw. Uh, Marcus and Gibson's. Are we walking down the Nashville Predators' path with Philip Forsberg? I, as as previously mentioned, I I really don't think that will happen for the Vancouver Canucks, and and it's something we've talked about even going back to last week when when Rutherford made an appearance on uh, on Donnie and Dolly. You know they feel a lot more confident in Horvat right now than mm-hmm. than maybe Miller. Yeah. If you're going to compare the two, um, I can see them going into next season with Horvat still a little bit unclear on what that contract looks like. It's less so for me with JT Miller. And I also think because of the draft and another thing Alvin told us going to be very hard to add picks Mm -hmm. in this draft. There's one way to do it. You trade good player to get picks. Well, that's the ultimate thing. I mean, you can get picks. Yeah. One thing he did mention was you can get later picks. Yeah. It's hard to get high picks, first round picks, second round picks. But I do believe they have players that you can offload for mid to late round picks. Yep. Oh, for sure. I mean, Tanner Pearson, um, you know, depending on. The, the money a team would eat for Myers. Well, I right? think I, like I there's, mean, there's different ways you can extrapolate late round. Picks. I can easily see a scenario where a team is willing to give up a fourth or maybe even a third, maybe a fourth though, and only take a million back. Where Vancouver's getting you know a third or a fourth round pick, and all they're doing is retaining a million dollar salary. I mean, I can easily foresee that. The yeah. issue there becomes at least organization. This is something that I've talked about before, and Rutherford himself has said it too. They can trade Myers. Mm-hmm. The question is, 
what are you getting back in return? And what are you replacing him with that makes you feel like you can make that deal? Because in a year's time, you can offload Myers and get something more back in return potentially. So it also goes back to asset management and how you manage each one of your assets. But if it goes back to those two players specifically, Horvat and JT Miller, their decisions are coming by the draft. Yeah. You know, Rutherford has been a bit more upfront about that, whereas yeah. Alvin has been a bit more cagey with some of that information. But I feel for I don't foresee a situation where the Canucks know they can't sign JT this summer and don't trade him. Yeah, it's um, it th- this is the problem though. Like as we go through this 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 process and have this conversation, the thing that keeps coming back into my head is, how are you able to do both? Mm-hmm. How are you able to remain competitive, right? Whereas the good long term move is trade Tyler Myers, get the cap space, and figure out what you can do later with it. Um, But if you're trying to remain competitive, then it hurts to trade Tyler Myers if you don't have a ready-made replacement. So how do you balance wanting to stay competitive with a good young core of players and also try to help that young core of players by getting in some things that will help them two, three, four years down the line? I mean, absolutely. And the way you kind of plan everything out from this point on is going to really set the standard for how they approach each one of these discussions, each one of these situations. Yeah. Because if this was a rebuild, you know what you say, you're like, you know what? We don't care if we're bad. So mm-hmm. let's just trade Myers and get what, what we can. And the space is more valuable. You know, the spot is more valuable. We're going to be bad anyways. But because that's not your ultimate plan, you have to work around that. Now, with a guy like JT specifically, and I see Alistair and Clearwater make this point as well. You can't hedge your bets with him again. I think you hedged your bets already with him. I think you did it during the deadline. You did it during the season where you said, okay, we can play this out a little bit. Yeah. I think what you're doing is you're backing yourself into a corner if you head into next season with him in the final year of his contract. And with Alistair, you can't risk losing guys for nothing like the last regime did, especially higher-end players that bring you something really back in value. I know people say it's hard to get picks. This text says it's hard to get picks, yet teams do it every year. Yeah, the Canucks can get high picks. Yeah. For JT, you get a pick. Yep. You know, like if you're trading Bo, you're getting a pick. Mm-hmm. The question is, are you trading those guys? Uh, how did how did Buffalo add a, a, se- a second top 15 pick? Traded Reinhardt. <laughs> and they traded Jack Eichel. And Jack Eichel. Yeah, sorry. Jack Eichel. <laughs> I was thinking of Reinhardt last year, but yeah. Well, they traded, you know, yeah. Reinhardt for a, a good pick as well. So, you know, the, like you got to trade good players to get good picks. That's that's basically the story. Um Let's let's continue to uh, have this discussion. Some takeaways from our interview with General Manager Patrick Alvin continuing on the other side. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. You are listening to... Canuck Central, a presentation of your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. Wasn't expecting the uh, cilantro crew to come at me this weekend. Oh man, you uh, you inadvertently stepped on a landmine. I am never tweeting about cilantro ever again. No, I mean, uh, you know, the South Asian community it feels very strongly strongly <laughs> about its cilantro. They use that in everything. Look, I, I I'm not one of those. Like, I don't have that gene where like cilantro tastes like soap. Like, I do like the taste of cilantro. You enjoy cilantro. It's just 
You go to the grocery store, you buy a bunch of cilantro. Not that it's expensive or anything, but you buy a bunch of cilantro. How do you use the whole bunch? Unless, I mean, if you make specific dishes. If you're cooking dishes, for a whole family, sure. Yeah. I had to make like four different recipes this weekend. I use cilantro in everything. I just like was throwing it on stuff for no reason <laughs> because I was just drowning in all this cilantro. We're throwing it on pizza too? Yeah. No, I, I didn't have any pizza. I'm dieting right now. So. Oh, okay. So you can go home and cook some healthy food. <laughs> Instead of using basil, I started using cilantro. Cilantro, and and you put that, uh, it's like Frank's, you put on everything. Yes. <laughs> but I, I get what you mean. Like, unless you're making specific dishes, yeah. then it is a lot of cilantro. Like, I do, I like to have, like, taco night and stuff like that, where, you, you know, yep. I'll get some corn uh, tacos, yep. like soft shells and stuff like that, and then... Um, I'll get some cilantro, but yeah. there's always extra cilantro. Like my cilantro always goes bad. I have the same predicament you do. I'm in the same predicament. I'll use it and then like, I have to throw out about yeah. half of it at the end of the week anyways. I had like so many people coming at me like, I go through five bunches a week. Well, like what? Are you making pico de gallo for a, an army? I, I, I don't understand how this, how this even happens. And then they're like, well, you clearly don't make any South Asian dishes. Like, well... <laughs> Well, clearly not. So it's not for you. Cilantro is not for Dan. I, I need to expand my culinary uh, mind, I guess, to, to using more cilantro. What you should do is come up with a cilantro dish you enjoy <laughs> and then make that. Yes. I, I use it in everything. Like I, I had it in the in the marinade I made for the chicken. I was making like uh, at-home chipotle, uh, you know, burrito bowls, right? And meal planning out. And even that, I still had too much cilantro. It's like, how? Anyways. Make some pico de gallo with like tons of cilantro. I find it funny. Like I, I have to do more reading on this whole like cilantro. Like some people just taste soap when they when they eat cilantro. Like they've got some gene that doesn't, doesn't like process Cilantro it. doesn't process properly for them. Huh. Torgi says it's good on chili. Oh, yeah. Do you make chili? I do make chili. Actually. You do? Then maybe, right. you know. Put some on. Can you freeze cilantro and then thaw it out? I guess so. Somebody told me to like uh, get a glass and just like put the stems in and it lasts longer. Glass? Like, yeah. You, like a mason jar? No, just like a regular like glass. Like a glass? Yeah. And you, you put some water in it, submerge the uh, stems and There's then a sprout it, it'll more? last longer. There's a sprout too? No, it just lasts longer. It stays fresher. I'm also not going to put that much effort in for a 50 cent bunch of cilantro. <laughs> 50 cents it's not worth it to well you. like once people started coming at me on twitter i was like i'm gonna find more recipes to finish this bunch of cilantro yeah well i mean hey warren from Kukutlum says chimichurri churi is amazing lots of cilantro and parsley in it gotta try it great on meats see one of the things like sometimes you'll go to a steakhouse and they'll give you chimichurri to put on the steak like why if your steak is good enough i don't need any extra sauce maybe just some flaky salt that's it right that's, it. that's all you need if you're giving me a sauce to go with my steak, ah, I don't know. No, no, no. You can't put sauce on. The only thing, the only thing that can go with um, your steak is if you have some sort of gravy or hollandaise for like the potatoes and the side dishes, and yeah. some of it comes in contact with your steak. That's okay. <laughs> but you should not be putting barbecue sauce or any sort of sauce on your steak. Yeah. Uh, if the only time it's okay to put something on your steak is if you're making like carnitas or something. <laughs> yes. And you put some salsa or guacamole mm -hmm. on. The diced up steak you made? Yeah. That's pretty good. I'm hungry now. Uh, all right. Got a lot of cilantro takes coming in on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Isn't cilantro the same thing as coriander? Chuck on Quadra. Is it? 
I, I wouldn't even know. I'm not. No I'm idea. not that much of a chef. I'm gonna say no. That's 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 just my my ultimate assessment. Glenn in Richmond might be a botanist. He says, uh, buy a small planter, grow some chive, cilantro, mint, and parsley in there. Easy to grow. Problem solved. <laughs> now we take a little bit at a time. Okay. Yeah, get a planter. You probably should. My my mom actually, you know, does that in the summer where she'll get a little planter and then she'll make the little greens and stuff, and I'll just get that from her. Yeah. Yeah. I should probably do more of that, but I don't. Any case. All right. Patrick Alvin joined us uh, <laughs> earlier this hour. Is he a fan of Cilantro? <laughs> Should have asked him. Should have. Missed opportunity. But, um... <laughs> Minor Madden Abbotsford. Don't tell me how to live my sauce life. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Apologies. Eat, eat steak however you want to eat your steak. Uh, no, I'm probably still going to judge you on your food choices. Just the way everybody <laughs> judges me. Like, oh, yeah, Dan, you don't know anything. You like original chips. <laughs> yeah. You got a problem with that? Original yeah. chips are great. Yeah. I mean, if you dip it in yogurt. Stop with the yogurt dipping. It's so good. It's weird, man. It's great. In a can of yogurt? Not in a can. <laughs> Who gets cans of yogurt? Where do you get your yogurt? Um, cans of yogurt? Is it like dry yogurt? <laughs> Can Dan do Mexican accents and pronunciations like he does Italian? He might get canceled. Mm. Cilantro? Is it supposed to be like that? It sounds, it sound Italian. <laughs> Does it? I probably still do sound Italian. Cilantro. I mean, Spanish and Italian, same thing. We're like cousins. Primos. Uh, all right. So, Patrick Alvin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's no easy transition. There is no easy transition. Uh, Patrick Alvin joining us earlier. And uh, we spent a lot of time talking about uh, the development process uh, within the organization and obviously, it's a, a an area that they have um, keyed in on to be better at because it hasn't gone well enough. And, you know, there's a few things here. Um, obviously, the, the draft hasn't gone overly well for the team in, in recent years. We heard the story from uh, Rick Dollywall and others reporting that Tony Utenen is not going to sign with the team. Deadline is June 1st. So there's another player out of the 2018 draft that just isn't going to hit, isn't going to be any kind of a part of the organization, and that leaves pretty much Quinn Hughes and no one else. <laughs> yes, we uh, have Quinn <laughs> out of that draft. But Quinn was great, uh, but beyond that, not not so good. So, like, there's a few things here, Sat, and one is, you know, the, every time we we go through this process and we we talk about these things within the organization, I'm like. How have they been so bad making the playoffs once in the last seven years and also have literally very little coming on the horizon? Like, very little on the horizon, if anything. Like, you're really grasping at straws to find where the next prospects for the Vancouver Canucks are going to come. Now, yes, they got Pod Colson and they got Hoaglander and they got Rathbone and all those guys do amount to potentially be NHLers and maybe more than that. Obviously, mm -hmm. we've seen Hoaglander play at an NHL level already. You wonder how much more he has in him. Same with Vasily Pod Colson. But beyond that, like, they, they don't even really have guys that project to be NHL depth yeah. all that much. Well, I mean, 
So when it comes to the draft classes, and, and tomorrow we're going to dig into the 2021 draft class a little bit. We're doing a little homework okay. on the 2021 draft class, and yeah. I have some updates on this. I'll bring it to you tomorrow. Yes, we uh, do our homework, unlike Ben Turn. <laughs> yeah, unlike Ben Turn, we actually do our homework. And, and it's homework was watching a movie. I know. It shouldn't have been that hard. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho. Now, listen to the mailbag on Friday. Yeah. Just and and right now, he's not listening. No. So he has no idea we're slagging <laughs> him. It's great. Anyways. Um, but what were, what were we talking about? The 2021 draft class. Oh, where yes. We're doing our homework yes, on it. Yes, and so how, tomorrow, uh, I have an update on the 2021 draft class. I want to talk to a couple more people. But tomorrow, an update on that draft class. Now, it's very... I mean, the answer is very simple. Yeah. The Canucks graduated a lot of players quickly. Mm-hmm to the NHL, it made decisions on players really quickly. You know, whether it's a guy like Gustav Forsling in the past, you know. And they traded a lot of picks. Yeah. So that's where it comes down. I mean, if you look at the Canucks draft record relative to the picks they've had, it's been fine. But it's a fact they haven't had enough picks. And they haven't had enough premium picks. And that's where the problem arises. And, you know, did that hurt when Judd left the organization? Of course. I mean, that's a guy who knows what he's doing. And you take that guy out, that's one less really good person in your department is able to scout. And I wonder about some of the selections at times, but I think the biggest issue is just not having enough draft picks. Like, yeah. that's been the problem here. And had they maybe taken a different path with a Gustav Forsling or an Adam Gaudet potentially or somebody else and let, let's say it would have been a different outcome one of those guys would have emerged and stayed here and been like an impact player for you that discussion is really different it shows you how we're talking about one or two guys here mm-hmm. if they had one more guy that was playing on the team and they had one more guy in the ranks coming through that, that doesn't cure everything but we'd have a far different discussion and had you maybe had four or five extra picks over those eight years Jim was in charge. Yeah. That's not asking a lot. I'm talking about four or five picks over eight years. Yep. The Canucks didn't have picks over surplus over eight years Yeah. in totality. If you had a few handful of more picks, you'd be in a different position. I get it. You got to be better at drafting. You got to be better at development. At the end of the day, draft pick volume determines draft pick outcomes more than anything else. Yeah. That's just been the fact when you look at NHL Draft history, you look at history in other sports, the more picks you have, the more likely you are to have more players. And, and of course, some some organizations do uh, identify talent better than others. There's no doubt. But ultimately, the best case for probable chance of hitting is just volume. It's the same thing as like the, uh, you know, it's the same as Corsi, right? The idea behind Corsi is the more volume you're getting, uh, the better the chances that you are going to score, right? Uh, the early stages of uh, soccer analytics were that for every eight shots attempted, you averaged one goal, you know? So, you know, you think about it from a draft thing uh, perspective. You know, if you have X amount of draft picks in the first four rounds, you can probably bet on hitting a few of those, right? Or a couple of them. More than one, which is kind of what the Canucks have been trending as, where they have one, maybe two picks in a draft that have actually hit. And, you know, we'll get into more specifics tomorrow, um, but I'll give you a bit of a hint. The Canucks may have a couple more players that might have promise than Mm. people are giving credit to. Now, that doesn't mean the prospect pool is burgeoning. (laughs) It doesn't mean they have tons of players that don't need more and all that sort of stuff. But it's probably not quite as barren 
as people make it out to be. And I think they actually have some guys that are more longer-term projects that could be very, very interesting. It may take a few years, but I think that we could be sitting here in a few years talking about some guys that are not being discussed in this moment right now that could be players. Um, this text on the Dunbar Lumber text line unsigned. Maybe Jim and John's theory on drafting and developing prospects closely follows Riccio's theory on cilantro. Make on a dish <laughs> and drunk tr- tr- dump the rest. And eat the rest. Eat I love the it. rest. <laughs> might, uh, might be okay. accurate. That's terrific. But this, uh, the reason I go down this path is because it kind of ties in with what we talked about with Aldine and just the the delicate spot that the organization is in and trying to do multiple things at once, trying to correct some of the sins of the past, but also remain competitive. And that's that's what makes this offseason so difficult. It It's what has put JT Miller really in the crosshairs of a potential trade for such a long time. It, it, it's just it's impossible to do both and do them do them both well. It's what is your this is why where the Canucks find themselves in it's more of a tightrope walk because it's not a clear situation where you have to rebuild. You don't you can't rebuild. You have too many good players. But you also don't have enough to just have a natural progression. You have to make some tough decisions before you get to that point. But it's so challenging when it ultimately comes down to two players. JT Miller and Bo Horvat. Because those are the guys that are going to get the big tickets. I think, you know, with Bester's situation, that's going to get figured out short term or even, you know, two or three years. I think that's going to be an easy thing and the number is not going to be massive or burdensome. But with JT and Bo specifically, those numbers are so big. And if you're unlikely to be able to bring both back, that's your best chance at being able to load up again. But here's the thing. Like, is it worth it to have one or two better prospects if if neither is going to be an impact player for you? And that's where the JT thing becomes so fascinating. Yeah. You can trade. You can make a JT Miller trade whenever you want. You'll get good value. But you're unlikely to get a player back that's going to be better than JT Miller. And ultimately, uh, replacing JT. You know, that's where Kuzmenko potentially uh, could come in. You know, there's only so much that you can get through internal development. But how quickly, if the Canucks do end up going down that path, how quickly they reallocate that cap space or that opening in their roster to potentially filling that void is also an interesting part of this process and conversation. So I believe that if they move JT Miller, they're not going to just sit there on the cap space and pat themselves on the back and say, we have flexibility for 2024. That's not going to be the plan. It'll be, how do we use this? Yeah. What opportunities can we take advantage of because we have more cap flexibility? It's not going to be, you're not going to squirrel it away for a rainy day. I mean, this yeah. is not the NFL. In the NFL, you can, if you have leftover cap space, you can tag it on to next year and you get extra cap space the next year. You can't tag cap yeah. space over. You can only t- tag penalties over and take away your cap space. So not to say you want to spend it stupidly, but like Brotherford himself has said, and he hinted at this numerous times and something we talked about months ago, there's going to be so many opportunities this summer, mm-hmm. so many teams looking to do things, so many teams that are capped out, so many teams looking to shed salaries, move things out. And there are going to be so many opportunities if you have cap space, some extra assets for you to maybe get a good player at a lot less a cost than you normally would. That's what I think they want to get into if they have more cap space. And trading JT accomplishes two things. You get the cap space and maybe you have some more assets in your back pocket to make that kind of a trade. Yeah. Because they don't have those assets right now. You know, other teams would have better assets 
than the Canucks to go after in those types of deals. Yeah. That, that puts the Canucks at a disadvantage, and it's obvious. 100%. Now, a question here from Jeff in East Hill, and and he says, do the Canucks players in the dressing room have an emotional willpower to go through what it would f- what would feel like another knife in their back if management trades JT in the summertime? That's Jeff in East Hill. It's a fair question, because mm-hmm. we've had this discussion before about how the room reacted to you know, players not coming back. Specifically, oh, some of those Tana. feelings were were real. They were. This team hasn't accomplished enough, though, for you to be afraid to make a big trade. Yeah. If this team had playoff appearance after playoff appearance, success after success, and these players were earning every single penny, if not more, then I could sit here and say, you know what? You got to back these guys. Yeah. But you guys haven't done enough. You haven't earned the benefit of us saying, you know what? We can't let this guy go come hell or high water. We'll pay him whatever it takes because we can't let this affect the room. The room hasn't earned that yet. I think there's a confidence in the new front office, too, that they are doing right by the team. And not that there wasn't that before. I probably could have worded that better. But, you know, three Stanley Cup rings that Jim Rutherford touts around, we've talked about this a few times, does bring confidence to the organization at different levels. And, you know, if guys like Horvat and everybody else are so sick and tired of losing and coming up short, not playing in the playoffs, well, the the group you got here isn't good enough to get to the playoffs. That's That's been proven. So changes have to be made. What those are, are difficult because of the different things we've been talking about in this segment. Mm. Now, when it comes to replacing JT, one thing, you know, yes, okay, they, they could use and probably will use some of that cap space immediately. But I wonder how they go about doing that. Now, Rutherford has said, no, we're probably not bringing in veteran free agents unless, you know, the contract is short and makes sense. You know, could that be the area where for one year, we've opened up five million bucks for one year. Yeah. Can we find something or a veteran player on a one-year deal that makes sense to come in Mm -hmm. and potentially play a role in our top nine. It's not going to fill JT Miller's spot, but again, how can we by committee fill 70, 75% of what JT gave us? Well, and that's going to be the the question mark here because with JT, the only issue, if JT was two years younger, Mm -hmm. we're not having this discussion. No. It's just about, okay, how, how much are we paying JT? That's a discussion around JT, but because he's at the age that he he's at, it's the amount of money you're going to pay for the years where he may not be the same type of player he is anymore. So the issue isn't having cap space. Like the Canucks have cap space right now to bring everybody back. The Canucks have cap space to pay JT Miller and Bull Horvat long term. They do. The question is, do you have enough flexibility beyond that to help your team out? And what else do you have coming? And what else do you got going on for your team? Because if you're trading JT mm-hmm. and you have the cap space, you're not going out and signing a 30-year-old player long-term. But what you're trying to do is, how do we get an impact player into our organization? Yeah, You don't go and sign 30-year-olds. You don't go and trade for a player who has an onerous contract. You try to look for value. And I don't think it's beneficial for you to put that money away and not do anything with it. Now, mm-hmm. don't spend it stupidly. And if you can't spend it on anything, yeah, then save the cap space and see what happens next year. But... What you're trying to do is get younger. So if you're not bringing JT back, you're bringing somebody else in who's going to be a few years younger that's going to fit this team longer term. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. We are Canucks Central. 
Don Taylor is going to join us coming up in hour number two of the program. Bet on hockey like never before with Play Now Sports, your local BC sportsbook. Game seven tonight, Sat. The New York Rangers visiting the Carolina Hurricanes, a series that has gone exactly the way it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. The home team wins every game, and here we are, game seven. Will that change? This is the way Carolina's entire playoff has gone, winning only at home and none on the road. First versus Boston, now here against the Rangers. The big one, Carolina is favorite, 162 money line at playnow.com, Rangers 235. I got to say, sometimes you don't, you don't just like bet on the goalie, but today I'm just betting on the goalie, and that's Igor Shesterkin. Yeah, not a bad idea. Carolina's been really good, and I think the whole like home road split thing is not really all that true. I think they've just had poor goaltending when they've been on the road as anti Ranta's numbers are just like a crazy home road split, like uh mm-hmm. lefty righty splits in uh in baseball, like crazy like that. But Carolina is who they are. But can they find enough space behind Igor Shesterkin tonight? That's my question more than anything else. Um I I want to see the Rangers win because I think it'd be fun. Mm-hmm. I don't find I don't find the Canes to be all that fun. I find the Rangers to be more fun. Yeah. So that's what I would like to see, generally speaking. But are you just cheering for Tyler Mott? Because I I kind of feel like I'm just cheering for Tyler Mott sometimes. Yeah, but I mean, I th- I just think they have a more fun team. Really? Like I enjoyed watching the Rangers more than I enjoy watching the Canes. Hmm. It's kind of interesting. The Canes are kind of boring. They they're just, fast. Yeah. They're kind of boring. They don't have like a star. No one didn't have Aho and Svechnikov, but I mean, this is my this has been my issue with the them. Canes are like the Pistons. Yes, <laughs> with Tayshawn Prince and company. Yes, and I mean, the thing with the Rangers I like: mm. Kreider, Zabanajad, Lafreniere. Lafreniere's been really fun in these playoffs. He's finding a gear. He's you know what he's reminding me of Tyler Sagan in twenty eleven. Ooh. In the playoffs, he just kind of found another gear. He was a speed. He was really, really a thorn to play against, and you know, he was really dangerous. I think that kid line has brought something. I just find the Rangers to be a more fun team to watch. Like I, I, I like watching Adam Fox more than I like watching anybody else. Keandre Miller's really stood out at yeah. times. Um, Rangers. I will say, though, so I said all that, but my anytime goal would be Svechnikov. Zach <laughs> <laughs> gives props. He gives you Andre Svechnikov over at playnow.com. Bet on hockey like never before with Playnow Sports, your local BC Sportsbook Game 5 Rangers and Hurricanes coming up at 5 o'clock right here on Sportsnet 650. Don Taylor is next on Canuck Central.